right, so today, guys, we're going to go through, and one thing I've been getting a lot of questions on through through social media stuff, as we've talked about this in a lot of these past episodes, and a lot of people want a little more detail, is this deficient specific training that we've talked about and mentioned, and, you know, at, at the point where, where you guys that have, have interned for us have been here watching our program now, you haven't necessarily seen a lot of the actual specification program with the deficiencies. What you guys have seen is a lot of the data collection and kind of the lead up into it so i'm going to just kind of walk through how we use it and, and obviously we're growing through it you know every day and it's it's definitely it's definitely grown you know year by year as we've really started doing and i would say the first year we really started you know using this idea of, of deficient specific training was 2015 2014 was was the was the really bare bones start of it but how the program's evolved since 2014 you know at least running it wise has, has really been continuing to add the multi-layers of this so as we go i think that's probably the best place to start is to really talk about the multiple layers of our program through through the development process of our guys so you know to, to start off the first the first and the second tier or or really the first and second layer of our programs right is is when guys first get on campus we have the foundational program and that's kind of the first tier, the first card of our program. And then you have the developmental uh, tier, the developmental layer of our program. Now in our program, if you guys know this or not, since I've hired Coach Heiss and had him here, I, uh, he oversees those directly. So you know, Coach Heiss has worked with me for a long time. He knows my expectations. And um, you know, his, as he writes those programs, he's, his ideology and, and what he's trying to do is he's preparing them in the foundational program for the for the developmental program the developmental program or that layer is is the idea is to get you ready for the team card or kind of what our standard our standard program is and then from there is where we get into the specification program of where you really see a lot of our mainly juniors and seniors upperclassmen who go into this deficient specific program so to really start um, Heist, why don't you just kind of briefly walk us through that foundational and developmental program uh, and some of your thought processes as you write through those to prepare them for what is a standard card and then I'll take over at the team card and talk about some of the testing we do to get them ready for that specification deficiency, uh, deficient specific program. Yeah, so I mean the, the foundational program is is a lot of what we actually spoke about in a in a staff meeting two days ago where we talked about it's your two, two for your first two weeks on campus. Um and, and you're you're learning we're learning more about you um than probably you're learning from us. Uh we're watching how you move, we're we're seeing pretty much that. We're watching how you move, we're doing bodyweight exercises. Can can you hold these these split squat isometrics in a good position without knee valgus? And um, you know, that that's the foundation. The foundational part is relative strength. Can you own your body weight? Um, can you do good chin-ups? Uh, you know, it's those things. And we're not worried about loading you or getting stronger at that moment in time. It, it's it's figuring out um, you know, what, what your availability is to go train. <clears throat> maybe it's none. Um, you know, maybe maybe you're a freshman offensive lineman and you, you can't do a push-up. Well that's really good to know before we go throw a bar uh, above above your face on a bench press. Um, and so that that to me is, is the goal of the foundation. It, it's to learn it's to learn about the athlete and it's to start to teach them your way. And so I know we're really talking about training right now, but it's also uh, a really good part point uh, to kind of emphasize your standard or your way over training at that moment in time. Um, you know, if, if part of your standard like ours is here at UB is, is to have your, your dumbbell set back on the rack with the horns facing up. 
you know, if they don't do that during the workout, we'll handle that right now because that's more important um, to getting them to understand how, how we train, how we take care of our things, um, the standard we have than it is to, to go ahead and, and load up a back squat. That's just not, that's not the goal of the foundational, um, foundational program. Um, and so then as you move, move out of the foundational program into the developmental program, it's, it's basically what, what Coach Sleeve just said. Um, you know, it's preparing you to train in this program uh, preparing you with the movements you'll need for athletic development success for the next four to five years um, in this program. We're going to do really, um, you know, excuse me, using the same word again, but foundational movements. We're going to front squat. We are going to neutral grip chin up. We are going to start to learn isometric uh, clean position holds. And we're going to do, um, you know, some really easily to learn posterior chain and just get some bang for your buck. You know, we're starting to build the the base of what you're going to be training with for the next five years. Um, you know, I, I, the way I look at it is if, um, you know, if you come into this program in July and you are not ready in January, February to be on our, our team card, or our standard program, then we probably haven't really done our job that well. Um, you know, we're not talking about needing to, to accelerate your training age, um, by any means, but I want you to be movement competent in the weight room, um, you know, coming, coming out of that, that developmental or, or non-travel or whatever you want to call it, that, that, that biggest block of training that we have, um, you know, that, that's the goal. Yeah. So, you know, going back through that guys you know we kind of have two main goals of that foundational program which is is like coach high said is number one it's just to assess these are kids for the, these are these are always you go right in the foundational program right when you get on campus so they're kids we've never seen we have no idea what they've done in their past we have no idea what their training age is we have no idea what their training level is so first thing we're going to do is we're just going to assess and, and we can do that through a multitude of movements uh, and then the, the the next real big thing is just to ingrain right we want to ingrain two things really great movement patterns and we want to start to ingrain our culture so though that that time in that foundational program is is a great time to do those things now to be more specific on what coach heist was saying you guys got to remember i'm not a timeline based coach i'm a milestone based coach so while the foundational program can last it can last a week for some guys, right? We'll put them in that program. And there's been classes that we've had that just get it right, right away. And we don't need to spend a lot of time uh, really um, separating them and, and really implementing cultural specific things with them. They get it. They can roll right into the team and, and, and do those things. And there's other groups that have been there for eight weeks of a summer program. And then there's groups that have finished that eight weeks and gone into what you know typically should be the developmental program, but they still need foundational movements uh, or that foundational structure, I should say, and they stay in it. So it's all milestone based. We've had kids that have been in that for three days. We've had kids that have been in it for three months. It, it just depends. So as, as, as they reach the milestone of, of really what we're looking at from an objective standpoint is the entire, the entire foundational program is outlined and has specific, like coach said, relative strength, um, milestones that have to be reached, a certain amount of push-ups per your body weight, a certain amount of chin-ups per your body weight. Uh, we're, we're looking for uh, more subjective qualities of movement as far as can they do these movements efficiently? Are they ready to load these movements? Um, 
what is their what is their gpp what is their general fitness are they ready can they handle a program safely if we put them into a developmental program where there are a lot of higher reps a lot of more challenging things can they safely handle those things so those are some of the the objective things that we're looking for in that foundational program to some of those objective milestones that they need to reach and then when we get into the developmental program like i said that's there's, there's a lot of things to that, but you have to understand the kind of athlete you're typically working with. We want to, we want to use very simplistic baseline uh, stimulus to try to achieve optimal results from those guys. And at that point in their career, their training ages are so low that we can do very simple movements um, and, and get those. So the, you know, the thing is, is, is really just being, being, savagely great at those simplistic movements is what we're trying to work in that developmental program uh, where we don't use a lot of sexy things like chains and bands and sleds. That's not the point of development program. It is to, to build a great structure. Um, and what we're looking to do is, you know, we're looking to develop general strength. We want to solidify, we want to solidify those movement patterns, obviously under load now. Um, and, and, you know, to think that the third biggest thing that we need to think about is it is our longest opportunity to really train these guys you know for, for these guys are not playing football games so they just you know theoretically they've come off a six to eight week foundational program if, if you know if we're if i'm giving you guys general timelines which is summer training when they first get on campus they're going to redshirt so they're not going to play on saturdays so they're practicing but you know it's 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 really guys it's it's almost 30 weeks it can be up to 30 weeks of uninterrupted training this is to me one of the most pivotal times in the guy's career and it's what coach high said if if we've trained a kid for 30 weeks and he's not prepared to go up to the team card in january um you know we need to we need to talk about a few things one are we recruiting the right kind of athletes are they are these kids coachable and a lot of times what you find is the guys that aren't prepared are the guys that are not coachable and then asking me to evaluate our program is our program really doing the correct things to get them ready for this so as as they get done with those things and we feel like these guys have built and developed great general strength we feel like they've really solidified these motor patterns to where we're not having to break down their squat and clean and, and they can pick a bar up and they know these movements now they're they're ready for that team card is is what we we see and we do have a we have some parameters as far as strength and where they are and what we're looking for um for graduation of that developmental program but then we'll shift them into the team card okay and the the team card and kind of what our standard card is is it's a it's a it's a program that is a it's a still a general program from a standpoint of the general qualities that athletes or football players need to develop to be successful in our sport that that's going to hit on all of those things um and and it's it's uh it's what will be like I said our, our our prototypical program. So we're working all ends of the spectrum of the force velocity curve. Um, we're we're exposing them to to some some sexier things now. They're they're using chains. They're using bands, uh, but they're doing what we would we would see. I would I would call more generalization. So over the the you know the eight years you know that I've I've been in this this conference this mac conference of coaching these kind of athletes um this level of athlete their general qualities that obviously i see these these athletes need more than not okay now through that team card through through that as guys are going into that that standard card that team card we start collecting a lot of data 
and we start really and, and not that I don't want to say that let me take that back we don't start we've always always been doing it. at this point we probably have a pretty freaking good idea the point is 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 probably at this point they're not prepared for specialization they're not prepared they're, they don't need to have deficient specific training to adapt because there's so many qualities they still need to develop there's so many underdeveloped qualities that specializing on one would detour too much from the other qualities that it, it wouldn't it wouldn't put us in a successful position so there's a there's a level of of where we need to drive all these qualities in the right direction and then we can start to really pick apart um one particular quality right if a if a running back's running a 4.840 and his acceleration is slow and his top end speed is slow, well, isolating just one of them isn't obviously going to be a smart move. So for that team card, the idea is that we take all those qualities and we really start to try to develop and move those up the curve. Okay. So team card, that's that's a general concept, right? And now we get into this idea of of, of deficiency specific training. Okay. So early on in my career, I would say that was um that was that was probably the start of or, or somewhere near there of, of this idea of foundation of uh, functional training right that was that was really the, the era of when things got really hot with doing single leg squats on bosu balls and if it doesn't if it, if it doesn't you know really taking these rehabilitation type movements and trying to load them and, and call them functional training um, where coaches really tried to mimic sport movement in the weight room and say that that would cross over to the football field. Okay. And that was when that, that really became a thing. Now that never really made sense to me. Right. Uh, because at the end of the day, there's, there's nothing that we do in the weight room. that's football. It's the qualities that we develop in the weight room that transfer to football that have the biggest translation into our sport or into sports in general. So, you know, trying to mimic a, you know, whatever, a, a DB drop, a loaded defensive back drop back in a particular kind of step or a, a, a BOSU ball, single arm, left leg, elevated press, those things that just never made sense to me on how that would help anything transfer to the field. I always thought more, you know, qualitative than I did think of a standpoint of specification. So as, you know, as I started really looking at athletes, what I found is I just, you know, initially what it was is we had a lot of really strong athletes early on in Akron. I thought our strength numbers were really, really good, but I didn't think that our on-field movement was great. And this is when, you know, kind of, you know, what you guys saw me talk about changing direction. This obviously there's a lot of pieces that go into this puzzle. Um, but it ended up being, there's a whole piece of the curve that we weren't training. It was as I was just kind of getting into velocity-based training and understanding the importance of training both ends of the curve. And, uh, you know, me, you know, coming up, I had always heard, well, you know, you increase your squat, you increase your speed, and that's all you need to worry about. And I think that's probably how I attack things. So, by first off, the first thing that we implement is we just started implementing, uh, implementing a lot of velocity-based training back in 2014. We got Tendo units, uh, and we started dynamic box band speed squat, and we started doing, you know, we started lightening the cleans, and we started moving for speed. Um, and just from that first original 2014, that first kind of original just addition of just adding in a lot of those velocity-based movements, our average 40 in that summer dropped uh, over a, a tenth and a half of a second. Our average vertical jump uh, in that eight-week program, our average was up three inches, and I think we had 13 guys that increased their vertical jump six inches or more. So that really jumped out to me and just made my brain start thinking a whole different direction of, of how we needed to um, 
train an athlete in general. And that kind of led to a different, I would say, team card. But so to, to break down this further for people that aren't very um, well, well versed on this stuff. So we kind of talk about two athletes. <clears throat> We talk about uh, why well, it's three an athlete a athlete b and athlete a b okay so athlete a is an athlete who is very very strong he can produce a lot of force right he's, he's a guy that can take a squat he can squat 600 pounds and he, he is a very strong guy like you would think like a, a power lifter type athlete but he gets to the football field and it doesn't translate it doesn't cross over it seems like he can't express those that that force on the field and there's a reason for that uh on the field you know you don't have you think about how long and how slow a squat takes right well you don't have nearly that much time on the football field you know tenth of a second you have to, to, to potentiate as much force as you can so that's one rep squat that heavy slow squat doesn't translate if the rate coding or that muscle doesn't know how to those neurons don't know how to fire in the in the right and, and the correct speed to produce that force so you end up getting athlete a who's super super strong but goes on the field and can't express that strength okay then you have athlete b who's on the complete other end of the spectrum he's a guy that you know back back squats 225 that's his max he just doesn't have strength he's very very weak but he's super elastic he can he can jump out of the gym he's 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 like i said reactive elastic and he's a guy that can produce all the force that he can produce in a very in that in that time frame he has he can produce it all the problem is it's just not a lot of force and so you you have a, a underdeveloped kind of weak athlete which is, is athlete b and then athlete a b is 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 who we talk about being a very well balanced um, athlete, which is, which is what we try to develop. So not too far up on any end of the, end of the spectrum. He's got a very, very high squat. He's, he's, he's high on the spectrum. He can produce that force very quickly. So he can express all that strength on the football field. So he has a lot of strength and he knows how to express it. That's a well-balanced athlete. It's, it's going to be pretty efficient and have a lot of translation to everything we train in the weight room, sprinting on the field and cross it over into into the into the game of, of football or whatever game it is that, that that athlete might be playing okay so there's there's two terms here uh boyne that we talk about right we talk about explosive strength deficit and we talk about muscle strength deficit or sometimes you'll hear me say elastic strength deficit or muscle strength deficit what are the difference between the two uh explosive strength is the guy is not able to produce in the sense of power so you know force and speed and then the other one the muscular is just the guy's not strong like he, he just can't move the weight yep so so those are kind of the first two categories that we'll start shifting guys into guys in this in this program so as we go and and, and we're really we're really starting to assess guys we feel like generally we're in a very good place we'll start to look as one end of that curve is this is this particular athlete have a deficiency is he elastically strength efficient is he muscularly strength efficient and where on the curve does that lie okay now in in recent years and i'd say this is probably in the last year and a half to two years uh, a new category or, or what I would say is, is, is we really see this deficiency across the board. So we really work it generally 
but it's reactiveness as well, right? So we talk about, and you guys have heard me talk about this, how important the rigidity to the foot ankle complex is uh, and, and the, the, the calf soleus complex and, and the rigidity of that. Um, what we talk about is, is reactivity, right? You could have a very explosive, strong athlete, but if every time, if they have a, if they have a, if they have, if they lack reactivity or rigidity of that ankle foot complex, you will notice that that athlete will dissipate force through the ground over and over and over again. And you'll be beating your head through a door, wondering why our athletes not transferring. And a lot of that can simply be lost right at the foot, right at the ankle, right at the calf soleus complex. And so those are things that, that I would say that's the third category um, of, of what we are starting to develop and, and, and go through. Um, it's just, we're still really working on that reactivity with how we want to quantify it, how we want to make it objective versus just, I, I personally think that that's the easiest one to see. When you see an athlete who just can't keep rigidity in the ground when their foot strikes the ground, I think it's super easy to see that force just literally just kind of mush into the ground. Um, and so, you know, that's one thing that we've really, really hit hard as of late and, and kind of added into the third category. So really those are the three main deficient specific things that we will work and train with athletes. So as I get into that fourth card, right, that, that is where we'll break them up. So, you'll pretty much go into, into three or possibly, like I said, you can be, you know, whatever. You may be explosive strength deficient, you may be muscle, muscular strength deficient, and you could also be reactive strength deficient in what we kind of term that, that, that ankle complex area, that rigidity area. So you can sometimes be in a few different boxes, but so more or less we'll put you into those. Um, so how, how do we, how do we determine this, right? There's a, there's a few different ways. So we use the poor man's version of the reactive strength index. We don't have force plates. And, and I think that's one thing guys that, that um, I will challenge you to do is don't wait until you have the resources to be around those things, to learn about them. Don't have the first time you get a assistant job at Alabama or the head job at Florida state and can afford to use force plates. Don't have that be the first time that you investigate them and look into exactly what they can do and what they are. Educate yourself now. I think that's one thing that I, I you know, it's, it's challenging for me too, because I've been so used to, like I said, I've been in the Mac comp for eight years now where we have a lower budget and we have to find unique ways of getting around things. Um, so sometimes I think of, oh, the Omega Wave, it's out of the, you know, out of the question. We can't use it. I'm not going to learn about it. Uh, oh, force plates, couldn't afford those. Those aren't in the budget. You know, GPS, can't afford that. Don't forget about that. Um, and, and so you, you, you put this huge gap in, in how you understand things and the lenses that you would see things through. So learn about those things right now and, and don't be afraid to study those things just because you can't technically or, or necessarily afford them because you never know, right? Last year, Coach McNally, what did we get? Well, we got... We got 12 GPS catapult units and thank God coach McNally and, and, and myself at that point in time had, had familiarized ourselves with them more so from a standpoint of actually using them coach McNally than, than I, but um, understanding how to use that data and what that data meant, it allowed for a much smoother transition. So, um, but anyways, guys, so, so some of the ways that we use them, right? A poor man's RSI. So what we use guys is, is one of the main things we do is, is we use a, uh, a reactive strength index, you know, jump system, right? So for the vertical jump, we have the, we have the jump mats, the just jump mats. Now we will use these to collect data. And, and, and once again, guys, this is uh, completely anecdotal um, from a standpoint of how we use this, but it works really well for us. Okay. So we will, we will test three different jumps. Right. So we will test a, a first a, a static vertical jump. 
So this is more testing muscular strength, right? We take the elasticity out of the jump. There is no you know, stretch reflex. We have them snap down into a squat. We have them hold that squat for three seconds to allow all the force, all the energy built up in those tendons to dissipate. And so we're relying just on muscle, right? Uh, or, or mostly muscle. And then we'll measure that jump. We'll get that number, we'll write it down. Then we'll do a counter movement jump. So athlete will start tall. Now we're using some elasticity, right? We're gonna snap down, we're gonna snap up immediately and test and measure that vertical jump. And then we're gonna do an overloaded counter movement. So what could be a depth jump, right? So um, we can obviously manipulate this a few different ways, but we'll start on the box, usually typically a six to 12 inch box, depending on position. We'll drop off of that box, we'll overload that elasticity, that stretch reflex, and we will jump from there. Okay, so we take those three jumps, and obviously, if you're, if you're talking about a balanced athlete, and you're thinking about this logically, right, the, you know, Boyne, which jump should, should be the lowest if you are a balanced, efficient athlete? All right, the static jump. Okay, while well, you're figuring easier. out, but I'm gonna keep on rolling here so we don't have a. Yes, correct. So, yeah. so the the static jump because you don't have the ten, you don't have the tendon helping you out, right? So you're just you're using you're using less force productive qualities to be able to do it. That makes sense, right? So the static jump should be the lowest. Obviously, the counter movement jump should be a little higher, and the overload counter movement jump should be the highest. Okay, so as we go through that, the, the ratio or, or what I would say, what, what I look for is about an inch different in each. What I've noticed anecdotally is that those, those things, like I said, those three jumps, when there's about an inch difference between the three of them, you have a, a pretty freaking well-balanced athlete and it doesn't happen very often. I'll tell you that this is, this is pretty, it's pretty glaring to see where you may see an athlete with a, with a 24 inch, you know, you have an athlete with a 24 inch static jump, uh, 27 and a half inch, um, you know, counter movement jump and a, and a 28 inch overloaded counter movement jump. Uh, and that can go vice versa. And obviously you're more explosive athletes. You can see, you can see up to three inch swings. Well, that becomes very apparent guys of what their deficiency is. Obviously, if you are, if you are statically jumping higher than you are, an overloaded counter movement or a counter movement jump, you are not very good at being elastic. Your body does not understand those qualities very well. So those are, that's one of the ways we do it. We can do the same thing with a broad jump, right? If I do a static versus an overload or versus a counter movement versus an overloaded, I can measure those as well. We can do repetitive broad jumps, right? If I can do, if I do three, if I just do three broad jumps, I do a broad jump, jump out, stand up, reset to another one, do another one and measure that distance, however far that was. Okay, let's say, let's say that was 14 yards, right? And then I just do, okay, now we're gonna do three rapid fire jumps. So now we're obviously overloading that tendon. We're using that, we're using much more elastic properties. If that, and then we do three in a row, one, two, three. If those three rapid fire broad jumps aren't further than those three static broad jumps, it probably means you have some elastic deficiencies, okay? Now a new one, another one that we've been looking at a lot, talking with, you know, Cam Joss and, and and going through some of the, some of these different splits, you can break down a forty yard split to see where a guy is. Right, um, obviously the first ten yards, guys of a of a sprint or the acceleration phase, that relies a little heavier on muscle. 
whereas you get more upright and we're sprinting more and, and more vertical force and projection in the ground, it becomes much more of a reactive movement or an elastic movement. So what we can take is if we have estimations and we can take and measure a guy's first 10 yards or a 10 yard split, and then we can measure a fly in 10, which we do this quite often, right? Now, if the, if the first 10 yards acceleration, let's say that 10 yard split is indicative of a 4-4-40, very good first 10 yard split. It is a fast, explosive, very good projected 10 yard split. And it's, it tells us, okay, this guy's gonna run a 4-4-40. And then we do a fly in 10 where we give him 30 yards to build speed and measure that last 10 yards of the, of the, of the 40 um, or that fly in 10. And let's say that's indicative of a for 740 what what deficiency would he have coach mcnally let's say he'd be elastic deficient right he would be elastically deficient why because he, he can express good muscular strength in that acceleration he's he can he can he can produce a lot of force, but when he has to be reactive, when he gets upright, he's obviously limited there. So those are some of the ways that we will measure and, and quantify the reactive strength index or, or what we do with how we, how we categorize these guys into the different deficiencies, the different, the different deficient specific programs. Okay. Now, and I'm, I'm being pretty general here, guys, and then we can, we can have some dialogue and questions at the end here, but I just want to get this all out. Um, in kind of chronological order here now of how this makes sense to me. So once we've, we've now, we, we have, I've walked you through the four foundational layers of our program, right? Talking to you about how we evaluate and how we measure these poor man reactive strength index. And, and to go back to where I was is, is force plates and things like that are obviously the most accurate way to do these things. It's just, this is what we have. These are poor man's ways of doing it. And for us, like it, it works freaking awesome. It really, really does guys. It's simple. It's inexpensive. Um, you know, for, for part of that, all you need is a stopwatch for the broad jump version. You need nothing. Okay. You should get creative and find different ways to do it with the vertical jump well, um, way as well. Okay. But now let's, let's talk about the applied version is how this is becomes applicable. Okay. So first off, I don't think it is, it, it would be efficient to have 30 guys in a weight room doing 30 different specification exercises based off their deficiency. So what we do is we categorize these guys typically with our athletes that works out very well. You may have in your top tier, those guys, you got to remember our, our program, we're running four at once. So in that very top tier, the guys who are prepared and ready for the deficiency specific program you're talking probably your top 30 guys right maybe 25 guys and then out of those 25 guys you break these guys down into you know what maybe it's maybe it's you know 10 guys eight guys in each one of these categories so what would look like is let's say on a friday we have a squat programmed okay well and everyone's still going to squat it's just the variation of that squat might change okay so if you are a strength deficient athlete, what are we gonna do? We're gonna work more eccentrics and more isometrics. So what we might do is, is while you're squatting, okay, you might do a five by five eccentric, um, you know, two tempo down, three second pause, two tempo up. You might do a, 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 a very much so strength driven workout to where we're trying to isolate that muscular strength deficient. Okay? Now where my, my other side of the weight room, they might be doing the elastic strength deficient training block. So they might be doing 10 sets of two box band speed squats, okay? or we might be doing high heavy reversals. So this is where this blew me away, guys. This is something I want to talk about the other day is 
listening to Stu McMillan the other day on a podcast, and I don't know, maybe he didn't mean to say this before, but this spoke to, to me like crazy, was he said the most transferable exercise that he has seen cross over to the track in his entire career, which you guys remember, he's been doing this forever, and he's, one I think, one of the better minds in our industry, is uh, overload of the eccentrics is, 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 a, is more or less where we take out the eccentric. So it's, it's just a freaking drop under the bar. Uh, and I can't remember exactly percentages or, or, or what the, the protocol was for the movement, but just to me, I'm like, man, that's, that's, you know, I, I, cause I, I've seen very similar things is, is one thing that, that you'll see guys who have this elastic strength deficiency is we'll, you know, we'll obviously drop the percentages down, but we'll put some pretty solid resistance on that bar um, via bands and we'll, we'll do a rapid reversal. So we will, you know, obviously these are guys that are very technically sound. They've been in our program for four to five years, so they can handle this. You shouldn't be doing this with guys that can't handle this for sure, but we will do a, a, a rapid, a rapid reversal. So they'll take those bands and the idea is that you want to let those bands pull you down faster than you can go down on your own. So it's not, you know, it's, it's, yes, you are letting those bands snap you down. Now you're still always in control uh, of the bar, but that rapid reversal obviously makes it an extremely elastic movement. So there's another example of something that why, why this side of the group who is muscularly strength efficient may be doing um, isometric squats. The other side may be doing these heavy uh, rapid reversals uh, that, are, that are elastic deficient. So that's one of the applicable ways of how we'll do this. Obviously within our sprinting, if a guy is more muscularly strength deficient, we could do more things like heavy sled sprints. We could do more things where we isolate the acceleration phase. If a guy is elastically deficient, we could do more things like wickets and more fly tens, more ankle hops and the pogo jumps and things to really work reactivity. In our plyometric program, right, we'll isolate this. So we will we'll always superset this with our power cleans. So everybody might be power cleaning, right? If you are a elastically deficient athlete, you'll go do hurdle hops. If you are a strength deficient athlete, you'll go do a seated box jump, okay? From a standpoint of, um, neurological responses as well will do this right so we'll do overspeed jumps where we're trying to really attack things at the neuromuscular level uh and and really try to to once again speed up that reversal uh piece of things so there's a lot of ways that we can apply this and uh that's a that's obviously a ton of things that i just threw at you uh i hope that was as organized as i could make that just speaking off the top of my head uh heist or connor if you guys have ways that i can clean that up or if you guys want me to go into more depth about things that you guys have why don't you fire those at me i think uh maybe one thing you could touch on too is is just talking about how we utilize different velocity zones uh, with some primary movements uh, maybe, maybe that'd be some good discussion point Yeah. So, and, and kind of that's a really, really big thing. Cause that's one huge thing that I missed too, guys is, is you have to understand is, is, is what makes an athlete so special is different for different athletes. Okay. So let's say there's an athlete that his strength is what makes him so special. Well, if all of a sudden you go, Oh, I'm going to, because he's so strong and his strength is so good. He's such a good accelerator. We're going to ignore that completely. And we're only going to train the other end of the spectrum. Okay. That is devastatingly a poor decision. All right. You have to constantly, because if you don't train that, what you'll notice is you're taking away your athlete's biggest strength. What makes them so special, you stop training it. 
Okay, and then all of a sudden what happens to their performance? What do you think happens? It goes down. They actually get worse. So with this deficiency specific training, you have to be very careful. And guys, what, what Coach McNally is saying, and this is a huge point to understand, is we are constantly still training all ends of the spectrum. These are very minute little changes that we will make that make big differences, but we can't just completely ignore things. You are still constantly getting that, what I wanna say that team card is, right? The, the general principle of developing all ends of the curve, or as Coach McNally said, of working different speeds and different speed zones, whether it's strength, speed, speed, strength, accelerator strength, absolute strength, we're still training all of those zones. It's just, we're gonna pour a little bit more coffee into the mug of elastically strength efficient that's what you need or must your strength efficient that's what you need but you can't just sit there and go aha this makes sense if he's elastic strength efficient we're just going to train that and it'll make everything better those qualities guys if they are untrained they go away they dissipate and then you make your athlete who loves doing these things uh, that make him so good. You take those things away from him. And one, you probably make him hate training because you don't let him do the things that he actually enjoys doing. And then two, you diminish the qualities that make him such a special athlete. And I think Coach Sleep to touch on something that, I mean, you mentioned the, the Stuart McMillan podcast, not to <laughs> really, really be an advertisement for that one, although it is really good. Listen, um, I think one interesting point he brought up was, was talking about if you are so narrowed in on your focus of doing deficiency-based stuff and you never touch on the things that make your athlete special, think about from like a psychological perspective, um, you know, if, if you have a velocity deficient athlete, let's say, and you're working up to a major competition and you're only doing like force enhancing things, well, if he's very or she is very uh, poor at those, right? Like think about from a mental perspective. Now, all of a sudden, you know, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in my own head. I suck at doing these activities and stuff. Uh, maybe that starts playing with the psychological stuff. And of course there's, there's some give and take and, and maybe that's more applicable to those at the highest of the high level, maybe not so much at our level, but I think it creates some really interesting dialogue in terms of how do we want to have that, that, that balance of giving them what, what they need and what they're deficient in, but then also giving them stuff that, gives them confidence. You know, I think uh, I heard it from Joe Ken uh, many, many years ago was the, the number one most transferable trait that you could have in a program is confidence, right? So if you are depleting them of that, are you doing a disservice? And I, I don't know the answer to it. I think it just creates some interesting dialogue. And like you said, I mean, you gotta, you gotta not necessarily completely neglect certain things, but it just, where, you know, what do you, what do you emphasize in your program, right? another it's another really really good point coach um and this one thing we talk about in our program all the time is is that you know in january and february we're not nervous to break these guys down a little bit we we were not we're not afraid to challenge their confidence and really tell them what they need to really work at and 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 get after them a little bit we're not afraid to make our team understand hey we're not all that we we need to really get going here but i will tell you that in June and July, we are very, very intentional about what coach just said, which is building confidence. That's from two standpoints. One is a team, right? You know, we want them to think they're the closest bonded, tightest knit group of guys we've ever coached. We want, you know, whether, whether it's true or not, we will start instilling that confidence. Like, man, you guys have put the freaking work in. No one's worked harder than you. Those are essential to put forth. Okay. And same thing. I think what a lot of times what you see is you get into the end of that summer, guys peak all over the place some guys you know it might be a, supposed to be a reload week and all of a sudden they're peaking and other guys sometimes it might be supposed to be a peak week and they're freaking they're, they're like you need they need a reload and, and you need to be very conscious of how you manipulate that and how you manage guys psyches because you don't want 
the week going into camp for a guy to be kind of touching over training and feeling not the best. So you got to be very careful with those things. And I think that's a, a, a really good point, Coach, as well, is through all this is a psychology of building confidence. And as you get closer to playing football, your guys need to have extreme confidence in themselves and in their football team or whatever team it is that they may have. Um, both very, very good points. Coach Heiss, we've got about 10, 15 more minutes here. Uh, what else do you think we need to touch on here or anything or any questions or additions you have? No, I mean, my, my biggest thing I had was was what Connor was brought up initially um, when you asked if for any questions was talking about some of the velocity zones and, and how we pair those. I mean, something there's only maybe to go into, too, is uh, from position to position, uh, maybe maybe touch on what we did with uh, you know, our second lower body day with the big boys in the summer, uh, adding in another dynamic effort movement uh, for those guys and, and kind of taking out that second um, that second day. So what, we can talk through that for a minute or two. It might be really good. Great call on that, Coach. So, you know, while I, while I was, you know, downplaying position-specific work, you know, we, we still obviously there, there are some things that, that you should do and, and you should consider when it comes to that. Um, in, in general, this is the general way I answer this question is the closer you are to the ball, the, the more, the higher, the longer time you're going to spend in that absolute strength, accelerator strength type uh, velocities specific zone the further you are away from the ball the more time you'll spend in the strength strength speed speed strength type zone um, on the force velocity curve so things that we'll do is is you know with big boys especially I, you know, I think that, that they need to be exposed to, to everything just like anybody else does. You need to be very conscious and aware of, of, of trying to limit the impact on joints for those guys. It's a lot more body weight. Uh, obviously, every step they take, is, it's, a, it's a lot more force that has to be produced and absorbed. So you have to really consider those things. So one thing that we will do is, you know, where, where skills and mids may be doing a deficient specific jump what our big boys will do is they'll go in the weight room and then, you know, we might do a different dynamic effort lift, right? So you might have your three sprint stations that we'll do prior to a lower body lift day where the mids and the skills are out there and they'll do a projection drill, they'll do a production drill, and then they'll do a plyometric drill. Uh, and the bigs would only do two of those and then they would head to the weight room and they might do a dynamic effort box band speed squat or deficiency specific speed squat. So it could be a, a box band for a guy who's more muscular strength efficient. It could be a just a, a heavy reversal uh, band squat for a guy who is more elastically deficient or a trap bar deadlift, a banded trap bar deadlift, right? Where we're working and we might, we might isolate that accelerative strength zone. We know that, that in a, you know, from a standpoint of combat or of hand-to-hand -hand combat or, or accelerating through a, uh, you know, another, an external force that that accelerative strength zone is, is the best zone for that. So we might isolate that as well. Um, so there's still some, there's still some position specific things going on to, you know, to say the least. And I think that the, the main thing we're trying to do is we're just trying to limit the impact on those, those bigger athletes joints and really be intelligent about how we're doing those things. Uh, as we, as we go through this deficiency specific, uh, training modality. What else do you have, Heiss? Um, nothing, nothing too specific. I mean, that was, that was the, the two biggest things that I thought we, we should have covered, um, were what Connor brought up and what, what we just talked about with the, 
um, you know, the, the second dynamic effort day in the weight room for the big boys and, you know, how it's not necessarily position specific, but it's just, it's athlete specific, right? It's, it's the, it's the demands of their position in the game and, um, and, and what that allows for. So, um, you know, I know we don't have a ton of time, but, you know, they might maybe answer some questions from our, from our interns here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think right before we get into that is, you know, another, Another thing, another thing to really consider is, you know, people say, "What? Well, why do your bigs need to? Why do your bigs need to top end sprint sleeve? Why do you do that? Why do you? Why do you top end sprint your bigs? They don't do that in the game of football." Well, guys, let me let me uh, break down for you. Is there anything that we do in the weight room that they do in football? You ever see? You ever see a guy put a bar on his back and and squat on the field? You ever see a guy do a power clean on the field? Do you ever see a guy do any of those things on the field? And the answer is no. So once again. It, it, my philosophy, our philosophy that we do here, it's, it's, about, it's, about, it's about developing qualities, not necessarily specific movements that transfer to the field. We develop the qualities to allow them to learn how to use those qualities in their positions on the field is the, is the whole point, guys. They're the experts at football. We're the experts at developing qualities. Let's both do what our, what our jobs are. Um, so yeah, I think there are still a lot of benefits to upright sprinting, which I, you know, that's a question that I got via social media for, for bigs. Now, do they need to be sprinting 40 yards down the field and doing it over and over and over again? Absolutely not. But it's certainly something we can expose them to as well. So uh, that being said, uh, yeah, interns, guys, anything that you guys have questions about on any of this, go ahead and, and fire away and we'll try to wrap this up here in, in, in about the next 10 minutes. So we got some good time here for some questions. Yep, go ahead. Uh, right off the bat, I mean, when it comes to programming the uh, like deficiency specific training, uh, my immediate thought is like just logistically, how would you set that up in the weight room? Like you've you've got say you know your tier one guys and you've got bigs mid skills, and you're trying to keep the flow of a workout going. Like you don't want anyone to be hung up on one thing while the rest of the group is moving on to the next block. Uh, you know. I, I would assume that you would have, say, three different plyometric stations set up for the guys to superset with whatever training they're currently doing. Uh, and it's probably not at the forefront of your mind right now, but, you know, just provide an example of how you would uh, segment the different training within the workout so as not to hang up the workout or delay anything to keep everyone on the same page and moving along. Yeah, it's 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 definitely situational is what I'll say. And we can do things a lot differently here than what I could do at Akron. You know, having two full time coaches here um, that are football only allow us to do some very unique things that we weren't able to do uh, at Akron. But, you know, we'll we'll train these guys in tiers for that reason. So, you know, tier one tier two, tier three, tier four, those four different layers, they, they train completely separately. So that gives us much more eyes um, to do these things with. That being said, like I said, we try to keep this as generally as, as where you know, Coach McNally might take all the elastic deficient guys in the weight room, whereas Coach Heiss would take all the reactive strength guys in the weight room. Um, and then I could take all the muscular strength deficient guys in the weight room. And that would, would be how we would split it up so that you're only coaching those eight guys with that specific deficiency and, and going from there. Now, would you say you're doing block A? and we're coming in and we're, everyone's going to be squatting. Are you supersetting the 
the deficient, you know, exercise of the elastic, all that with a block or is it its own uh, block itself? Yeah, so it just, it, just, it just alterates and substitutes, right? So where you see on the team card, it might say back squat five by five at you know, 80 whatever percent. Um, and that everybody in that group would be doing that. The only difference is on the elite card or that's, that, that deficiency specific card, it would just on block A, it would just say squat variation. And then, you know, it would, it would be broken into those categories. Coach McNally's guys might be doing a box band speed squat. Coach Heiss's guys might be doing a, a, a heavy reversal um, or a, a rapid reversal band squat. And my guys might be doing eccentric or pause squats. On top of their already, you know, meat and potato squat work. No, that replaces it. That is oh, okay. their that right. is their squat gotcha. work. Gotcha. Um, now we would we would always keep we, we so if if we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna squat in some form or fashion twice a week. Well, like Coach McNally said, we're still going to keep that general squat right. So we can't just do explosive strength training now with that group. They still need exposure to maximum strength. So we just we we coin certain days for deficiency specific training. Not every day because if we did it every day they would never have exposure to the other ends of the curve. So there's, there's, there's certain days in the program that we say, okay, this is a deficiency specific day and it might be different, right? So, so Monday, it might be, it might be that they might follow that general card, but there is a deficiency specific plyometric inserted. Whereas Friday or Thursday might be, we, we, we change that squat pattern to deficiency specific, but they do a general plyometric with it. Um, and that's just an example, right? But so we, we, we sprinkle it in and, and you know, obviously we use a little bit of vertical integration, a little bit of micro dosing to where they, they have a, an exposure to everything every day. You know, they might do an, an explosive strength, you know, bilateral squat and they might superset it with a maximal strength lateral lunge after, you know, so just to give an example. So we're, we're still, we're still very cognizant about, um, about hitting all ends of the curve, but you got to remember, right? Especially in the summertime, which is really when we get into this um, deficiency specific stuff, you only have so much room to pour that coffee into that coffee cup, and you can overflow it very quickly. And if you just if you just add, you can't just add, right? Adding doesn't work. You can't if you just add, you overtrain, you create injuries. You have to substitute. So if you're gonna put something in, what's coming out? And that's where yeah, like I said, everything is a sacrifice to something else. You decide to do more of this, well, you're taking away from that. And so you have to highly consider that as you're doing this because that's what it is. It is a, it is a substitution. It is not an addition. If you just go, hey, I'm going to add all this different specific training to my program, you're going to also add injuries, add illness, and add shitty results. So substitute. You got to sub it in. Yep. Anything else, guys? Um, I know you said for the vertical jumps, the differences between each jump should be about an inch. But is there um, an optimal amount for the 40-yard sprint and the flying tens or the horizontal jumps? Yeah, so we use a, we use a chart for the, for the 40s. Though. And what we're looking for is we're just looking for balance. So once again, we have a chart that, that – you take their first 10 
And so we'll, you, as you remember, right, when the guys got back, we start with all tens, right? So we'll measure those tens. Well, those tens will spit out an estimated 40 for us, right? We have that formula of what that estimated 40 is. And then same thing, the back 10 or that flying 10, that gives us an estimation, right? So if those aren't within 0 0.05 of each other, so for example, if, if one, you know, if one says, hey, he should run a four, four four and the other one says he should run a four four five i'm okay with that discrepancy if it's anything larger than that that's when i would say that we have a deficiency if a guy's if a guy's 40 is indicative of, you know as 10 is indicative of a four four and his his uh his top 10 his fly-in 10 is indicative of a four five that's a discrepancy and then that's that's a deficiency and we will train that um, as far as, as far as the, the jumps, you, you're looking for something substantial over a yard for the broad jumps, right? So if, if I'm going 14 yards, uh, with the static jumps or the, 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 the resetted broad jumps, and then I go 15, 16 yards with a rapid fire, I'm, uh, we're looking at a deficiency. Now, obviously the larger those windows are, the larger our gap is. So, you know, that, that points it out to us. And then you also have to understand that there's a lot of variables that go into that, right? Does a guy, has a guy never done rapid fire broad jumps? Does a guy just not understand the movement? Um, has a guy, you know, has he, it, does he just not on the fly in 10, does a guy not know how to build up? Does he, does he, does he get the 27 yards and go, oh, I better start running and, and hits the first, you know, the first yard of that, that final 10 at 90% speed. Well, obviously there's going to be a big discrepancy there. So sometimes you have to make sure you're actually being, you know, you have to make sure you're coaching. You have to make sure that you understand that, hey, he clearly just doesn't understand the drill, not just automatically assume he has a deficiency, right? As if a guy, if a guy enters that last, that, that final 10 of a flying 10 running 90% speed, well, there's going to be a huge discrepancy. You got to make sure they understand the drill. You got to make sure they understand that they're running it correctly. Uh, and that's with, with everything, right? There's always a, cur a learning curve with these things as well. So you have to understand that as well with, with, with these. Coach Lee, you mind coming in there for a second? Yeah, go ahead. So it's out. I, I think you know it's a really good question to bring up, and just kind of building off Coach Lee's point, um, it was probably something I think we saw a lot with our overload uh, counter movement jump last summer. At least um, we would have guys that would improve. They'd go static thirty inches counter movement, thirty one inches, and then like the overloaded counter where they step off the twelve inch box, hit the mat, and jump they'd be like 28 inches, right? And that might be the first week of the summer. Now, do you look at that and you say, man, it's elastic deficient, like we need to completely throw up the program and, and include all that stuff? I don't think so necessarily. It's what Coach Sleeve's saying. The guy probably just didn't really understand how to do it, right? And then over the course of the, the next couple of weeks, all of a sudden that number starts trending in the direction we would expect it to. Are we magicians and, you know, found out a way to add, you know, seven inches to this dude's overloaded jump? Well, we might have improved it a little bit, but I think a lot of it is probably just learning how to do that movement. And that's always just something that, with any kind of testing you do. You know, if you test out your max clean on day one and nobody knows how to clean, you're going to have some really bad numbers, right? So you just got to be careful um, when you administer any kind of testing and stuff like that. One hundred percent. All right, guys. I uh, I have an interview here at nine thirty, so I gotta I gotta get going. But hopefully that at least will stimulate some some thought. Uh, and like I said, I know a lot of the listeners had have been asking for this, so you know hopefully this this will answer some of those questions that you guys had as well. Uh, anybody who, who's listening to this and has questions, please feel free to reach out to me. And if there's anything specific that you want me to dive back into. 
uh, send some questions and we can kind of do another Q&A where I can have Coach Ice or Coach McNally feed me some questions and I can try to answer them to the best of my ability. But hopefully that helps. Hopefully that at least gets your brain stimulating on on this. And, and, and guys, this has been incredible for us. I, I, I can't tell you how much benefit you see out of an athlete when you really, you know, keep their strength, their strength, but you work on their weakness and build it up as well. You really see uh, a big impact on sports performance as well. So hopefully this stimulates some conversation. Uh, I appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. We'll see you next time.